The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 389, recapping what might be one of the crazier, wilder MLB trade deadlines we've had in a long, long time and a lot of fantasy implications that come along with it. So we're going to break it all down. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick. If you give a rate and review to the podcast, we truly appreciate it. But to help me break this down is a great, great guest, first-time guest for the show. You can find his work over at Yahoo Fantasy Sports. He does the fantasy football podcast for Yahoo Sports. And he's on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. Scott, how are we doing, man? I'm doing great, Baba. How are you? Good, good. I appreciate you joining me today on a Friday evening to uh, recap uh, just pure craziness that took place the last couple of days. Yeah, you know, um, many different years I've been on um, I've been on the uh, trade deadline detail. Uh, I actually this year I'm actually not. Um, I don't have to write anything for it, which I think I'm. I'm kind of glad for because I think it might take me three days to unpack it. And there's been deadlines that have been duds. Um, and, and we know some sports things don't happen. In the NFL, there's generally not a lot of activity at the deadline. You know, there are NBA training deadlines that are, you know, smaller and some of them are bigger and hockey. It's the same way. And I think what finally happened this year, because there's a lot of striation in baseball, right? There's a lot of teams that know they're not in the playoff hunt. And there's even teams like Seattle that are in it, they're in it, but they're acting like they're not in it. And a lot of times people say, well, why should the Pirates hold on to anything? Or why should, you know, the the Cubs are rebooting. The Tigers aren't going anywhere. This seemed like the year where every team that was to the north of it was like, yeah, we should really be doing something. And every team to the south of it is like, yeah, we should really be selling off things that we can't keep or things that aren't going to be part of our next contending team. So it's it's almost like if you told me Rob Manfred said, hey, we're going to give every team like a $5 million bonus for every trade you make. Go out and make a bunch of trades. Um, so this this was crazy. I, I'm still trying to unpack it. I don't know 
what uh, who's going to be closing in like probably like 17 cities right now, it feels like. But, um, it, but it was fun. I mean, when, when things change and we have new players and new situations, that, that's always fun and interesting. I mean, depending on who you root for. Um, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm also my season is always defined by the by the Yankees not doing well. So I wasn't thrilled to see them get some pieces kind of cheaply, I thought. But it was fun. And the bottom line is this. I mean, trading is fun in fantasy baseball. Trading is fun in real baseball. And I can't remember a deadline that was as active as what we just saw over the last few days. No, it was absolutely crazy because, you know, I've done fantasy. I've been covering fantasy for a, a few years now. You've been doing it for quite quite a bit longer, but I've been following baseball for a long, long time. And I don't remember anything. Like I was just, I was a fan again. I didn't even really, the like, fantasy stuff's fun. We're going to talk about that, but I'm just sitting there. Like you said, teams are actually going for it, which was fun to see. And then teams that are rebuilding, like if you're the fan base of the Cubs, I understand how it kind of stings, but look at what you did. You, you got a good head start on things. Like you, there's still some things to happen, but all in all, you, you didn't just, you know, lose guys as free agency and have to start from scratch. Like you got something started, which will be promising. The Nationals just completely um, imploded everything also. Mm-hmm. The only team that really didn't do anything and it's still head scratching is the Rockies. No idea what they're doing in Colorado. So that's Yeah, I thought for sure Trevor Story would have a new address. Uh, you know, John Gray was somebody I know a lot of teams would be in. Everybody always wants pitching. And I think we've always wondered what John Gray would do if he was removed from the Colorado element. So uh, to see story not go anywhere. And I, I know that the, the shortstop market wasn't quite what maybe what people expected. A lot of teams don't need shortstops and a lot of teams went out and got shortstops, even when we didn't expect it. I, I didn't, the Trey Turner thing, the Dodgers kind of caught me flat footed. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen, but your know, story could play third base story could play second base. Uh, a, a team's incumbent shortstop could move. Yeah, that's one reason why I thought it was great. Uh, it was one of the later moves. And uh, and I know you you always have a uh, Giants stuff. I, I assume you're a Giants fan, at least somebody, Giants somebody who had a Will Clark yep. jersey behind him. Yeah. One of my favorite players growing up. Yep. One of the great moves for them. I mean, I think with getting Chris Bryant, other than the fact that he's just a really good hitter and he's at a, a good age. You know, who knows what happens after this year with his contract? But they can play Chris Bryant all over the field, and that gives them flexibility. That gives them roster flexibility, lineup flexibility, defensive flexibility, and. In the way baseball is structured these days, I just love having those guys. I mean, heck, I, I think it's great that the Red Sox have Kiki Hernandez and he, mm-hmm. he, the guy hits 230. You know, Chris Bryant is back to being like an 135 uh, OPS plus player. You know, he's back to being an all-star qual- caliber player. And um, in after seeing what the Dodgers did, it was just good. I, I think the Giants have been, I, I've kind of become a, f- a fan of the 2021 Giants. Um, it's helped that I've had shares of Gossman. I've had shares of Alex Wood. I've had, I've had shares of... Um, Disco, Discofani. I don't know how long those guys are going to pitch as well as they pitched, but I was really hoping the Giants would be players. Now they can't match what what the Dodgers did is really hard to match. But hey, you know the, the Giants are still there with that big run differential. They're right in the middle of what's going to be, I, I think, the the best pennant race in baseball. And nobody, I don't care how great your pitching is, nobody wants to be in that coin flip game. So uh, I, I was satisfied to see the Giants make a play. I, they weren't the quote unquote winners of this deadline per se, but to get Chris Bryant, I thought was really a great ad for them. Yeah, you, you nailed the point that I liked about it the most and some other Giants fans I've talked to is the Giants needed right-handed power, so he fits that mold. And he fits the mold, you said, that is epitomizes the Giants this season. He can play all over the place. And that's one thing the Giants have done is you look at the Wilmer Flores of the world, even Lamont Wade Jr., first base outfield, left-handed bat. Like, these guys move all over the place, and they're just – it's exactly the perfect Giants player for this season, the way they're building things. So I think they were hoping Tommy Lestella was going to be like that too. And unfortunately he's been hurt just about the entire season, but they were hoping that maybe he could bounce around as well. Yep. That's the plan. And he's on rehab and he hopefully he got a setback. So we'll see how, how that plays out belt supposedly coming back soon, but his injury sounds pretty bad. So we'll wait and see, but yeah, it's a big, big move for the Giants. And there's a lot of moves. And like you said earlier is 
we don't know where everything's going to land on this. It's kind of pure speculation. This finished two hours ago, hour and a half ago. Everything's uh, the dust is still not settled yet. And um, we're just going to give our best assumptions on this because uh, especially the reliever situation, I had a bunch of people already ask me, Scott, I'm like, I don't know, see what they do this weekend. Like you, it's, it's, it's a complete disaster. At least you don't have to put fab bids until Sunday night, hopefully. So just wait and see there, but we'll start in LA. They made the big splash on Wednesday night and they went and acquired Max Scherzer, who we knew was out there. That was a pretty much a given. He said he was going West. That's what he wanted. That was kind of the done deal. You mentioned Trey Turner being a surprise, big surprise. The the Nats did say everybody but Soto was available. I think we kind of didn't think Trey Turner was available, but he was. So he goes a couple of prospects, uh, Kyber Ruiz, Josiah Gray, and a couple others. So some of us thought it was light. Prospects, I'm not really worried about on this show too much. That's a whole other thing. Scherzer, Trey Turner, obviously great fits. How do you think this affects, I guess, because you're going to keep playing them in fantasy. How do you think this affects the rest of the uh, the Dodgers situation offensively that already had a lot of moving parts? Yeah, it's fascinating. My friend uh, Joe Sheehan, who, who writes the great Joe Sheehan newsletter, uh, put out something earlier today. And uh, one of the centerpieces was this big Dodgers trade, which which is still, of course, I think we all know is going to go down as, as the biggest move just mm-hmm. on paper. Just you know, when, when, when a guy like Scherzer, a walk-in Hall of Famer, and Trey Turner – legitimately an all-star when they change in one deal it's a big it's, you know it's a big it's a big move and the joe said if he was going to set up the dodgers lineup when everybody's healthy he'd have cody bellinger batting eighth part of it because he wants to separate the lefties doesn't want to have two lefties in a row but still just think about that cody bellinger was the national league mvp in 2019 and now i don't, I don't know if the dodgers will play it that way but i mean well Mookie betts isn't going to hit eighth you know um justin turner's not going to hit eighth i'm, I'm sure trey turner's not going to hit eighth either so Somebody, this lineup, the depth of this lineup is overwhelming. And, and it's, it's going to be nicely balanced, lefty and righty. You know, Max Muncy's had a great comeback season. I, I really wish I had had the gumption to go after him. I, I got a little bit spooked by what he did last year. And I know it was just 60 games, but it was hard to know what 60 games am I supposed to take seriously and what 60 games am I supposed to laugh off? I guess Max Muncy was the 60 games I was supposed to laugh off. But And I think the Dodgers... I don't really want to talk about this much, but I think they wanted to wash their palette of, of Trey of uh, Trevor Bauer, and yeah. you get to figure he's probably done for the season. So Scherzer steps into that role. Now they can, in a playoff series, they can roll out in whatever order, assuming Kershaw's healthy. They'll have Kershaw, they'll have Bueller, they'll have Scherzer, they'll have Urias. That's pretty freaking nasty. Now, of course, they have to win the division because if they don't, then they get to the coin flip game, and then yeah, you know, one one shot deal, anything can happen. Your starting pitcher doesn't have it, or you run into a bus on the other side, and then you go home and, and you play golf all winter. But the depth of this Dodgers lineup just just blew me away. I mean, they really have everything right now, and if they get if they were to win the division, I think that they're clear World. Series. I don't think I'm saying anything you know revolutionary here, but if they win the division, they have to be the obvious World Series favorites. If they don't, then they have to roll the dice like everybody else in that one shot deal, and then I, that really changes the math of it. Yeah, I'm with you. It gets really interesting. Like as the Giants fan, I do a lot of tongue and cheek comments especially on twitter where i'm just like i respect the snot of the dodgers i've told a lot of dodger fans like it's hard not even to like not like them anymore bets and bueller how do you not like these guys so like it's not like the old day giants dodgers we just hated them all but um i i told them i said if they're, they're building the best wild card team in baseball that's what i'm trying to like give myself hope that they're gonna, <laughs> you're, you're building the best team and like you said then it's gonna be tough do you really need three aces you don't unless you're gonna you know play two inning three inning roles with those guys but I'm with you. If they're in a regular series, it is tough to go against them. It is ridiculous. And uh, Vlad Sedler also tweeted out last night uh, uh, his idea of a Dodgers lineup, and he had Bellinger batting eighth in a platoon with AJ Pollock. Right. right? Yeah, that's, I think she might have mentioned that too. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's great. 
That's crazy. crazy. <laughs> and, and let's also remember one other thing that's a big part of a lot of these teams is right now Turner has COVID. Right now mm-hmm. Kershaw's on the IL. Uh, you know, the Red Sox went and got Kyle Schwarber. He may not be back for several weeks. There's a lot of injury situations. We really can't appraise where the Mets are at until we know what's up with Jacob DeGrom. And then if we've learned anything from DeGrom this year, even when he's back, we don't know when the next shoe, you know, yeah. the next shoe is going to drop with him. This has been – I don't have a great reason – why there's been so many injuries this year. Obviously the, the COVID situation is unusual to the last two seasons. And, and so that's part of it, but there's been, it's, it seems like, and I know teams are more proactive. If a guy is maybe borderline, should we disable him or not? Should we IL him or not? It seems like maybe teams just take the prudent approach, get a healthy body in here and, and you go for the load management. But it feels like there's a lot of, a lot of what's tied to these teams and their fortunes is who's going to be healthy uh, and who can we count on? When the then the pennant races are going on in September, I mean, I guess they're going on right now. To be honest, and a win now means as much as a win anytime. But you know, we, we don't know is Clayton Kershaw going to be Clayton Kershaw in October or not? I mean, who knows? Maybe he won't even be active in October. I mean, so a lot of that is going to be part of how we appraise things as we go forward. Yeah, and it, like you mentioned, it is interesting to see all these kind of injured players dealt already. And I was the dummy that that didn't realize it. Or just totally passed my passed me by but there's no august or uh, yeah august waiver wire trade deadline this year right. so maybe guys are just saying you know what we're going to reach for them now see what we can do because instead of seeing if they're healthy and, and doing the waiver deal and uh, that might have a little impact on it as well so i prefer that you know i don't like in my fantasy leagues i don't like trade deadlines that are really close to the end of the season because it just encourages people who have no chance to make ah screw it i don't care anyway here have have these three pieces you know and True. I, I hate to see uh, the the people who didn't impact the season on the field impact the season in the trade. So I, I like the fact that baseball is at least saying, okay, you're going to have to make the decision far further from the finish line and you're going to have to do more speculating. And there's going to be some teams caught in no man's land where they're not really sure what to do. And again, I know the, the Mariners are getting killed for what they did. And I can see both sides of it. On one hand, yes, they are cosmetically in the race. On the other hand, even if they were to make the playoffs, I don't think anybody thinks they have any upside. Yeah. So I, I could, why not build for a better future and try to have a great team in two or three years rather than just squeak into the playoffs now? Uh, so I, I can see, I, I think they're getting maybe unfair. And look, they, they traded Kendall Graveman. I mean, he's a good relief pitcher. There's a million great relief pitchers who yeah. pop, but he's a failed starter who turned himself into a great relief pitcher. I mean, you can, those guys literally are on every corner of every street in baseball. You know, and not that Graveman isn't good. I'm not trying to disparage him, but it, it's not like we will look at, oh, why didn't Seattle make the playoffs in 2025? If they only had Kendall Graveman, you know, still at the end of the bullpen, man. I, I actually think what they did, it just looks bad because of where they stand in, yeah. in the uh, in the, in the um, playoff chase. But I can understand why they did it. And I know they look bad because of the way they handled the Kelnick situation before the season and all that. Ironically enough, Kelnick's been up twice and he hasn't hit anything. I mean, he's been an absolute flop so far. Doesn't mean he can't be a great player in time, but. Um, it's just interesting when teams are in no man's land and it's not clear what they want to do. And you have a team like the Yankees, right? I mean, I, I don't know. It, their playoff odds are still going to be under 50%. I mean, the last I checked, they were like 15 or 20%. They've gone up, certainly, when they get Rizzo. They've gone up, certainly, when they, when they get Andrew Heaney, when they get Joey Gallo, who you would think is a perfect fit for that park. But I still think they're under, in my in my mind, under 50% to make the playoffs. And their pitching's still rough. That, like To me, I thought they needed to address that a little more, and they just really didn't. Like Sure, we'll talk about Heaney in a bit, but I don't think that was the answer for what was available on the market. I thought they could have went and done more. And you, you talk about the Mariners, we'll talk about them too. Is I was I was rough on them at first, but seeing it all settle, I think they're actually much better off, as you mentioned. So like, that's, that's one of those as well. 
Um, last thing on the Dodgers, and just for any listeners, Gavin Lux is pretty much done for the year. So you can just kind of get rid of him and in fantasy concerns. If you didn't already, it should finish it for you. Um, they picked up Danny Duffy, probably just a bullpen arm or a long reliever. Not a ton of fantasy value there. Let's go to Chris Bryant on the Giants. You mentioned you like the move. I love the move, obviously, as a Giants fan. I think there's even a, a long-term future with him there because they're getting so much money off the books. If they want to make it work, he's a guy that can make it work there. Mm-hmm. And he likes California. He's a California kid and everything. Like that works out really well. But for the rest of the season, he should slot in at third base, but he could play the outfield. Like, I mean, he can play first base for all we care. Like He can right. play all over the place. Um, he's going to be fine. Do you have any thoughts on how that might impact uh, other potential players that people have been streaming or using on the Giants? I mean, I, w- I would say that maybe Wilmer Flores would be the odd guy out, but there's been so many injuries there that, and if they don't, if you talked about Belt, we can't really count on him. They're, they're hoping he comes back, but but maybe that won't be something that has any any legs to it. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, this team is hitting so many home runs, and now and now they have Bryant, who's legitimately a thumper. But I don't look at anybody on this team and think, oh yeah, there's a home run hitter. You know, yeah. I, I think okay, yeah, you know, yeah, I should hit twenty and. Um, you know, Posey's had a great comeback season. Uh, he's been a little bit dinged up of late, but the, there's another guy I, I wish I had gumption on because I mean, uh, I know people who were in on Posey, and I, I was like, oh well, he might hit 270 or 280 and hit five home runs. I don't see how that's going to help me, even at a weak catcher position. And it turns out he's been one of the right answers a catcher. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if if the Giants make the playoffs, if the Giants, which I think they will, if they win the division, if they make a deep run. It's, I've always felt if you take, I grew up in New England, so let's just not count Fenway Park. I, I think the park in San Francisco, whatever they're calling it this week, is the best park in baseball. It's an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's kind of chilly. Make sure, you know, I'm always hot. And even I brought bought a sweatshirt, uh, you know, bought yeah. a hoodie, bought a Tim Lincecum $55 hoodie the first time I went. It was freezing, <laughs> but it's a beautiful park. It's a great atmosphere, even when the team is just ordinary. But now that they're actually in the middle of it, and, and in the middle of it with the Dodgers, of course, where they have this great rivalry, one of the best rivalries in sports and in baseball, they have that. I, you know, obviously, Brian, you know, being a Boris client, you know, you get a figure he's going to test the waters. It's not like, you know, I wouldn't expect like there's going to be like some extension done before the season. But when you get him in your locker room, when you get him in your city, when you get him in your organization, you give him a chance to fall in love with it and, and to think, you know, I he'll he'll you know live somewhere temporarily and maybe he'll think, yeah, I can imagine you know settling down roots here. This is a great place to live, a great place to play. Uh, you know, the, the park has, has started to play more fairly in, in the last couple of seasons. So I'm really curious to see if they can win. Again, I do think Brian's going to go on the market, but the Giants are getting their chance to subtly kind of sweet talk Brian and say, Hey, pretty, it's a pretty cool atmosphere here. You can be a part of this for the next four or five, six years. And uh, I think it'd be cool if he settled down there. And, and also, you, you know, don't overlook just the malaise in Chicago and you know, yeah, they won the championship there. And you obviously it ended famously with Brian, you know, fielding the grounder, he had a big smile on his face. He threw the ball over to Rizzo who's, who's out of town now too, but that team wasn't going anywhere. And I think every baseball player, I, I don't, I don't care who you are. You want to win. You want to be in a competitive situation. You get a boost from that. Um, I, I would, I would say, the bottom line is this. I mean, free agency is a crapshoot. I mean, I remember how long Bryce Harper was on the market before he finally signed Machado. The, that that off season where it, it felt like it went on forever. I'm not, I'm not saying if you had to say to me, is Chris Bryant going to sign with the Giants? Yes or no? I'd have to lean no. But if you ask me what team is he going to sign with, I'd have to say the Giants are the favorites only because he's he's on the Giants right now. Yeah. And I think it's a t- it's a really good time. They have smart ownership. They have a smart GM. And, and I think it's, a, it's there's a renaissance of baseball going on in San Francisco right now. And I could see Chris Bryant saying, yeah, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. I want to be a part of this. 
Yeah, I'm 100 with you because that atmosphere. Like, I'm biased, so I people don't like to take my opinion a lot. But I love the ballpark. I was just happy. Even I came home early from work yesterday. I turned the game on. Giants Dodgers on a Thursday afternoon was packed, and the place was rocking. And it's not even August yet. Like it's just you mentioned the fans there, the atmosphere. It's it's a different kind of animal compared to some just some other cities out there. So I think he's going to embrace it. They go get him a place in the marina like most of the players live. He's going to love that area. Like, it's just a – it sets up as a fun place. We'll see. I got down the road here. Um, but I'm looking forward to him joining that team. I, and, can't, uh, I can't say enough, too. Anybody listening who hasn't been to that park, it's, it's going to be near the top of your your target yeah. list. I uh, And also, um, it doesn't hurt that a lot of time – a lot of lazy – after. You know, I'm, I'm an East Coast uh, – although I live in the Midwest, I'm on East Coast time. A lot of times when you know eleven o'clock rolls around and I have nothing to do, I, I just put the Giants game on because their yeah. announcers are so good. They're the best. And yeah. um, I, mean, I thought Vince Scully was in a class of his own. Obviously, he's been retired for a few years, and now I, I toggle back and forth between the Mets announcers and the Giants announcers. Of, and it's nice that they play on different coasts, so I can yeah. you know a lot of times I watch it and I, look. I could care less about the Mets really. I, yeah. I mean, I love Jacob Degrom. <laughs> they have some players who I like, but I'm not in any way emotionally invested with the Mets. But Cohen and, and Darling and Hernandez just have tremendous chemistry and. And obviously, I, as you know, as a Giants fan, Kuiper and, and Krukow are terrific. And yeah. um, and, the, and the backdrop, the, the park, you know, they're not not every park gives me tingles. But that that park, I, I wish they wouldn't have to change the name every year or two. But uh, it's a tremendous place to take in baseball, whether you're watching on TV or, or please get to that park. It's well yeah. worth You're going to need a jacket. You're going to need a sweatshirt. But <laughs> yep. uh, great park to eat. Great park to watch the game. And, and I don't care if you know, I think of my friend Chris Morgan who lives in the area. He'll sit in the upper deck. And yep. take these unbelievable shots of the, the bay and everything. And everything. You get to see everything. Yeah, you know. So it's there's not a bad seat in the park. You don't have to necessarily. I mean, I've sat in good seats there. I've sat in, in, in lesser seats there, and I they're really literally, you know, as the cliche goes, there's not a bad place to sit in that ballpark. Hundred percent agree. I've sat pretty much everywhere, and no, I did not pay Scott to say all those nice things either. Everybody, that was uh, that was straight from him. So it's it's a great place. Go check that out. Another member of the Cubs takes off. He goes to the New York Mets, and uh, this kind of goes to the, the question of DeGrom being healthy. Also goes to Lindor. When's he coming back? So they go and grab Javi Baez, who can slot in at shortstop for now, move over to second base probably when, when Lindor comes back. We know we know Baez strikes out a ton, but he also hits with a lot of power. So it's an upgrade for the Mets. But um, are you liking this fit in New York, or are you thinking, I don't know, is it really, really a great move? I thought the price was reasonable. Uh, he he's actually really good friends with Lindor. I think they might be best friends. It never hurts to, you know, do the NBA move, get your super friends together. I thought this offense was kind of a sleeping giant into the second half because you know Michael Conforto had about the worst half he could had. He, he was hurt. He was unlucky in in some of his batted ball metrics. He just started to hit a little bit better before the All Star break. You know, Nimmo had been hurt for a while. It had been a loss first half for Dominic Smith. It had been a little bit of a disappointing. First out, you know, maybe Pete Alonso is the opposite. We always think, oh no, he's in the home run derby and he's going to be terrible afterwards. Maybe the home run derby got Pete Alonso going because he's been whacking the ball all over the place since the All Star break and since winning the home run derby. I think this should be a good offense on paper, not maybe you know a top three offense, but it should be at least like a top seven, top eight offense. But it comes down ultimately to Degrom. If there's no Jacob Degrom, I don't think the Mets have any upside. Um, I, I also thought it was incumbent for them to improve the pitching. I Baez is, uh, um, sorry, Diaz has been kind of shaky in uh, for, I don't know, it seems like a month now where every time the Mets have a, have a late game, maybe, maybe he thinks, maybe the bullpen thinks that DeGrom just pitched because remember all the trouble yeah, he would have where he'd, he'd pitch yeah. this unbelievable game and the Mets would find some cosmically crazy way to lose it. That's but, Giolito this year. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I feel a little bit cheated as a baseball fan because I thought DeGrom had a chance to do like you know, Bob Gibson, before my time, before your time, 1968 belonged to him. 
And I thought we had a chance of 2021 might belong to Jacob DeGrom. And maybe it still will, where he could just have an ERA that's so silly low that everybody can recite it by heart. And he's going to have that ERA, but it's not going to mean that much if he misses half the season. So as a baseball fan, I just want to see him come back. And man, he's even hitting the ball pretty well, you know, as part of the story too. Um, was the fit favorite, the runaway favorite to be MVP, especially after mm-hmm. Acuna got hurt. So uh, I think the Baez move was nice. Yeah, he strikes out a ton you, and he'll strike out in some crazy pitches, right? I mean, he'll strike out on pitches that, you know, land before the plate. He'll, he'll strike <laughs> out on wild pitches. He'll, he'll, you know, where he gets to go to run to first base. I mean, they have not invented the pitch that Javi Baez isn't tempted to swing at, but. I thought he was a good move for a team that needed a jolt of adrenaline, uh, maybe just a little bit of joie de vivre that he invests, he injects into this team. And the Cubs, once you're going to start selling, man, go all in. And they did. They did. They sold everything. They sold their their two slugging corners. They sold their slugging shortstop. They sold their closer, a crosstown trade, no less, which is always fun when teams do that. So, you know, once once you're, you'll commit, you get to commit. You can go all in once you've actually chosen a, a path and they did that. Uh, Baez isn't my favorite player because, again, I'd like to have a little bit of discipline at the plate, but I think the a Mets team that needs a jolt of adrenaline on offense, I can see why they did it. I think it made sense. Yeah, I'm with you. That's kind of the, what I explained to some Mets fans that were kind of like bummed out. You know, they give up their 2020 first-round draft pick for him, so it was, a, it was a decent return. But I said, if anything, you get a guy that you know could run into probably another 10-plus home runs the rest of the way and maybe maybe more. But at worst, what he brings to that locker room, A, he's been there before. So they've been to the postseason. He brings that attitude. And like you mentioned, the relationship with um, with Lindor, those little things you can't really just put on paper. So that, that's, that's like a big move if the Mets continue to try to make this playoff push that they're a part of. So I think that's a, a very, very intriguing part of that deal as well. And you know what's really fun, and I don't know what order you want to go in, but the content, the other quasi-contenders in that division went after it too. I mean, you know, the Braves yeah. made a ton of, I don't even know who's on the Braves anymore because they made like 17 <laughs> trades. They have and eight outfielders now. <laughs> Philadelphia tried to improve their team too. And, and you know, God love the Braves. It would have been very easy yeah. when Acuna got hurt to say, okay, that's it. It's not our season. Let's just, re- you know, get ready for next year. But no, this is no. We, we think the Mets are vulnerable. Uh, the Phillies still think they're in it. So, um, you know, especially Atlanta, they, they were as aggressive as any team that wasn't clearly in the mm-hmm. playoff hunt. So, you know, at, that's all you can ask for from a baseball fan standpoint, right? Is you want your team to care. You, you want your team to, to feel the way you do. And, um, you know, I, I tip my cap to the Braves for that. I mean, they went after it aggressively. And you got to appreciate it because, you know, like you said, they didn't really, they could have just folded up the tent and left when Acuna went down and they went and traded for Jock Peterson, which, you know, that's suspect, but we know what Jock can do if he gets hot. Like that's, a, it could be fun. And, and he did, but he, then he disappears. But then today on Friday, they go and trade for Eddie Rosario, who's banged up but went healthy. He's a nice left-handed bat in that ballpark. They go bring Adam Duvall back. We've seen what he can do. They go and get Jorge Soler, who was just swinging. He's been swinging it really well since the break. And then they go and trade for Richie Rodriguez to go in the bullpen to maybe give a nice right-handed compliment to Will Smith there. So it kind of mentions everything you're, you're saying. It's really strong. I'm not going to make you decide, do you want Richie Rodriguez or Will Smith the rest of the way? Because that's, again, going to be quite the committee. But that outfield situation, like how do you foresee that maybe from a fantasy impact with all these moving parts now? Well, they can um, they can sit Peterson if they want against lefties, uh, assuming they have some kind of reasonable answer in center field. Uh, also, remember they got Stephen Vote too. I forget exactly yeah. when they got Vote, but some point earlier this month, I believe it was. Yeah, it was right after Peterson, I think. Right, right. So uh, it's it's been a um, and, and that's another thing that made this deadline really fun is it wasn't just everything happened today. I mean, there's yeah. been a pre- there's been a gradual ramping up of, of teams making trades and. Um, it's, it's been fun. I mean, yesterday, yesterday would have stood for a lot of years as a really good final day deadline. And then just today just was crazy. Although the Dodgers trade, I think still was the craziest thing that happened, but 
Um, you know, Solaire, Solaire is a, a sore spot for me because I had some shares of Solaire and in one shallower league, I actually cut them at some point, maybe a month ago. And in mixed labor, which is 15 teams, he was still as lousy as he had been. He was, he was still too good to cut. And I, and I saw the reasons why he should have been a little bit better than he was playing, but it was just hard for me to keep, continue to own Solaire, you know, hitting 173 with no power. So I eventually traded him for, I forget what pitcher I got, but it was somebody who was like a four and a half ERA. I mean, I basically made a trade that looks terrible on paper right now, but it sure seems like he's figured it out. And you know, the hot hand is real. It's hard oh, to yeah. it's hard to define what it is and when it when it starts and when it's going to end. And you know, obviously, he's not going to be hot for you know, three months or something like that. But I, I'd be thrilled to be rolling out Jorge Soler. If I'm drafting a team from scratch right now. I, I would have no problem drafting him as like my number three, number four outfielder. I, that, that's how this is a guy who's hit what 48, 50 home runs, something like that before. I mean, he was one of the going back to the Cubs where it felt like the Cubs had too many prospects, had too many power hitters. All these guys came up at the same time and Soler was considered one of the jewels of that group. So it's, it's just fun to see him playing well again. And um, although it's interesting that him and Duvall, they, they kind of check the same box, right? Yeah, and you see, this, this is a team that's going to swing and miss an awful lot. Mm-hmm. You know, Austin Riley has swing and miss in his game too. I'm a little bit disappointed that Dan, I thought Dansby Swanson was ready to take a step up and maybe become a star. And he's actually taken a step backwards and he's just kind of an average major leaguer right now. And, you know, for somebody who at one point was, you know, a top five prospect, maybe even the number one prospect in baseball, just a little bit disappointed by that. But, uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure the contract status of all these guys, obviously next year, Cunha comes back. Those are going to have to figure it out. You know, Eddie Rosario, another left-handed bat. I don't know if the Braves can petition to use a DH because they have more hitters than they can use. <laughs> maybe they're planning ahead for the next d- agreement to have a DH. Maybe maybe that's part of their deal. They're like, you know what? We're going to platoon Rosario Peterson and one guy and then use Duvall and Soler and one guy and then go from there. <laughs> I mean, that's certainly, that's certainly possible that we'll have one in the National League next year. I think a lot of people think that. But you know, sometimes you think about the idea that you can never have enough pitching and the idea is that we'll just look, just have seven, eight good starters and it will take care of itself. Somebody will pitch poorly. Somebody will get hurt. Somebody else will get hurt. And then you know, just let that take care of itself. I, I guess the Braves have taken that approach to, to the outfield. It's like, okay, let's just have too many good players. And then we'll work on matchups. We'll work on who's hot. We'll work on who's dinged up, who needs time off. Um, and also, you know, something that you almost never see teams have anymore they'll have an advantage when they have to pinch hit, you know, in the national league, you know, where they're not being a DH yet. How frustrating is it when a team has to pinch hit in a big situation and the, like the backup catcher comes up or, mm-hmm. or some guy who's hitting 198 and like, Oh, okay. Well, he's the best pinch hitter they have. You know, at least they'll have a legitimate guy they can throw up there in some of these situations. And who knows, maybe that could swing a game in September. That's a great point. Cause it wasn't, it was a, uh, I think in the double header between the Phillies and the nationals, Vince Velasquez pinch hit. Right, so you see that, that a lot. That it's not uncommon. In. It's not yeah. uncommon to see the pitchers pinch hit, right? Yeah, and that's just that to me as a fan, that'd be like unacceptable. We can't do that, guys. Like that just can't happen. So, um, yeah, I'm with you there. It's very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, those guys are all fantasy interesting, but I want to see how it plays out because if it's a platoon, that's very, very troublesome. Of well, course. we know, right? I mean, playing time is so gigantically important in fantasy, and if you're in a mixed yeah. league, you need your guy playing six out of seven days, if not seven out of seven. It's just platoons. Obviously, if you're on the short side of the platoon, it you're really, done. really hurts you. But yeah. even the, a left-handed batter, um, if he's being platooned against lefties, there's just going to be some weeks where they face the three lefties. That's why I've become such a big uh, proponent of the NFFC format with that Friday. Um, and yeah, it's so at nice. At some point, I'm going to have to jump in there and make sure I don't have any lineup changes to make. But 
Um, so you can play with the rosters and play with the lineup schedules. You, know, you still have to deal with rain. You still have to deal with, you know, unfortunately every once in a while there's COVID cancellation or something like that. But um, it, it, it seems like to me, because I, I know not everybody, I play in some leagues that have daily transactions and I realize that's too intense for some people. But what's more frustrating than if I'm in my hometown keeper league, we have weekly transactions and we have no DL, DL which I, actually I'm not a big DL guy, actually, like mm-hmm. the NFFC, just yeah. to look, here's your bench and you deal with it. But in my hometown league, if your guy gets hurt on Monday, you're stuck. You're screwed. You're yeah. just, okay, see you, see you next week. You know, enjoy the zeros for the rest of the week. Yeah. So I think having that Friday uh, trade, and also what I like about the NFFC is it's relative to when your player's first game is. So if you mm-hmm. don't know what you're going to do with somebody on Monday, but his first game comes on Tuesday and you have another swap option, you get to use the benefit of the entire time to acquire information and to figure out what you want to do. So I, I think that's a really good way of running it. And I hope more leagues accept something like that or, or use a similar format in the future because I think it just adds more playability and skill to the game. Agreed. Yeah, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of them in recent years playing on their formats as well. It's a, a great platform and uh, just like the system works great also. It's easy to draft off of and everything else. Uh, you, you you mentioned the Phillies just a bit ago. They have made a couple moves, as you mentioned. Um, they wouldn't acquire Kyle Gibson uh, as a starter because they need obviously more starting depth, which we just talked about Vinny Velasquez, so they can use that. Uh, they wouldn't grab Ian Kennedy, which We'll see what that means for Ranger Suarez, who looked like he was taken over there. Then we've got Freddie Galvis as, a, as another platoon infielder, which could be big because they've been rolling on Ronald Torres a lot and everything. Do you think there's any fantasy impact from those three guys coming over to Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, Kyle Gibson, all-star, right? Um, and then, yeah. of course, he, his correction hit him hard. And he, he had his lunch handed to him in a recent start. I'm curious to see if Kennedy – you know, Ian Kennedy was the classic, oh, he's a closer on a bad team, but you better hope he's not traded because he'll be traded to a team that won't close with him. Well, maybe he actually will be a closer in Philadelphia. And, and it's funny because I'm just looking at their depth chart. And at different points, I believed in Neris. At different points, I believed in Alvarado. At different points, I believed in, in Connor Brogdon for a second. Uh, we don't – Brandon Kinsler was a closer in Miami, I think, last year. Archie Bradley at one point was a reliever that we all thought was pretty good. I I feel like all of these guys have hurt me or, or just at some point I've mistimed the market on all of them. So I, I a little bit of a sore spot for me, but – I'm thinking the Kennedy should close here, although you don't know. I mean, maybe it's there's no pressure closing on a Texas team. You're going nowhere, and maybe we'll we'll see. I remember when the, when the Tigers traded uh, – I forget who their closer was. They traded him to the Braves a year or two ago, and then all of a sudden he was back in a pennant race and he couldn't get anybody out. I, I know not everybody believes in, in that type of thing as being a real factor, but if I were the Phillies, I would say, hey, uh, Kennedy, you've been a good closer for the Rangers. Let's give you a shot. Um and a lot of times with these unsettled bullpens, and as people are trying to figure out fab and Sunday comes around and everything, don't overlook just having the baton in your hand and having the guy who recorded the last – being the guy who recorded the last save so often means so much. I'm sure with a lot of these teams, we're going to say, oh, we have a lot of options. We're going to mix and match. It might be a committee. We don't have a set closer. A lot of times that's just shorthand for it. The first guy to shut the door in the ninth inning is our closer until he proves that he's not. And I could see this being a situation where if maybe Kennedy gets a, a chance to close the next couple of days and does it, then they just shrug and say, okay, maybe Ian Kennedy's yeah. our guy. Maybe the first person to actually take a positive step forward in this bullpen, maybe somebody who gets a little bit of leash. And in the case of Kennedy, there's no scar tissue here. He's had a great season. The only thing that's really gone wrong is he was on the IL briefly, but I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be there. I, I would have to bet on Kennedy the rest of the way. I'm with you because that, that's how Girardi works. Like we've seen him, like he's used a lot of guys, of guy. yeah. but it, it's his guy until they prove him wrong, basically. Like he's gone to these guys and they have to prove him wrong a few times. So 
I could see them, and, and he likes his veterans, usually not as well. So I could see Ian Kennedy getting his shot and going from there and uh, seeing where that goes. Ranger Suarez might end the season there. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if Hector Neris gets another shot at it just because that's the way the Philadelphia situation's gone. Let's go to Toronto. They uh, they made some moves. They made some serious moves. They went and got Jose Barrios for a couple of big-time prospects. That's a nice move for Toronto, who needs some uh, starting pitching help. They went and got Brad Hand, maybe play like 1A to 1B to Jordan Romano so they can go situations because that's kind of what they've wanted to do the whole time. Then they also go and get Joaquin Soria, which, which gives them even more depth because – They've noticed, well, A, they need it playing on the AL East. Starting pitchers don't go very deep. And B, um, it can't hurt to have another option back there. So what's your thoughts on uh, Barrios, Hand, and Soria going to Toronto? Love what they did. We all know the problem here is not the offense, right? I mean, the, yep. they have plenty of guys who can hit, plenty of guys who can get on base. Wonderful breakout season from Guerrero. Boba looks like a player who could be an MVP someday. I mean, Guerrero might be the MVP this year. And they they have so many good hitters that they a lot of times they have a good hitter on the bench, you know, because once everybody's healthy, once they got everybody back, so that they knew that their problem was could we find an impact starter of which there weren't that many out there. And they have what I love about Barrios, and, and I'll admit I've been guilty of waiting for Barrios to take the step up to maybe being like a fringy Cy Young contender, and he, he's still more of a two, more of a three. Well, on this team, he can be that. He could be somebody who would legitimately be in a playoff rotation but wouldn't start the first game. And it's, I think that's really who he is right now. And they got multiple pieces, as you said, for the bullpen. They got a lefty. They got a righty. They have now three different guys who have closing experience, if you, if you give uh, the benefit of the doubt to Romano, too. And so they can do a lot of creative things. This is a really fun team. I would love to see Toronto in the playoffs because it would just be a, a breath of fresh air to see you know, uh, Boba Shett and, and Vladimir Guerrero and, and, and you know, uh, Tioscar Hernandez in the playoffs, stuff like that. Obviously, we've seen George Springer in the World Series before, but this is such a young team and it's got it's got all those legacy players, all those players, whether, you know, including Biggio, you know, where their fathers were all um, players in the major leagues. I, I think this, I, the question is, was was Toronto a year ahead of schedule when they contended this year? Was was the team as maybe was a 2022 team and 2023 team? I love the fact that they're going for it right now. And I think, now that Robbie Ray has reinvented himself, uh, we always knew he could strike out people, but I mean, his why his improvement with his control has been unbelievable. I, I wouldn't want to face these guys in a, in a coin flip game, whether it be Ryu or Ray, and, or I guess even Barrios. I mean, any of those guys could throw seven bagels at you. This mm-hmm. is a fun team. This is a dangerous team. This is a team that's going to be set up to be competitive and win for a really long time, but maybe they're just a year ahead of schedule. And I love that they, rather than sit back and say, oh, we're really thinking about 22. They said, no, let's do it right now. And they got pieces. I, I thought the prices they paid for everybody was reasonable uh, also, you know. Um, and, and I got like Sori is a, a great guy to get. Arizona's going nowhere. They get the worst team in baseball. You don't have to give up a lot to get a player like that. He's still got some life in his, what, 36 or 37-year-old arm. I, I love what Toronto did. They addressed exactly what they needed. And even though they, they may not play a baseball game in Toronto this year, but um, you know, they've been the nomads of Major League Baseball, but they're one of my favorite teams. They're a really fun team, and I would love to see them in the playoffs. And I think they got the type of stuff that could get them into the playoffs. Well, they start Toronto tonight, so that's happening. Okay, gonna, they finally moved yeah, it. I, I knew that was, on, that was down the road. Okay. Yeah, no, unless, unless something crazy happens. They at least they're at least going to get three games there before that all comes to an end. But um, that'll be Isn't fun. It's just I, crazy that there are three home cities in, in, yeah. I mean, you know, in a season. It's just so crazy, it's, man. Like, I can't, and, and they're still winning games. You, you wouldn't be surprised if, like, a, the, the, so much youth there, they just get distracted so easy. They're not getting settled down. They're not getting, like, a, a home base. It, it makes it tough. It makes it really tough. So it's impressive what they're doing. 
And I'm glad they went for it because, like you said, where they're in the standings, they could have kind of wiggle roomed it. But you look around the East, like the Red Sox are up top, but you, and you have the Yankees and you have the Rays and company, but it's still wide open. Like it's not like anyone's really pulled away yet. So you get that those couple extra bullpen arms, you get that other stars. You have three strong starters to go with. It can shorten the game with the bullpen. Like it's it's a very very intriguing move, and you can play more situational matchups with some of these powerful offenses. So I, I like what Toronto. I, well. I also think that when you look at the div- division. There's nothing about the totality of the Tampa Bay and Boston rosters that makes it think like, oh, they're a runaway juggernaut. No. You know, no. I I don't think anybody would be surprised if out of nowhere the Red Sox had like a two and eleven stretch or something like that. I mean, their pitching staff is very ordinary, and, and Tampa Bay is always one of those teams that they have talent and you respect it, but you look at it and they always feel to me like an eighty-eight to ninety win team. They never feel like a ninety-seven, ninety-eight win team to me. Obviously, the the loss of Glass now was gigantic. Uh, we'll see if they can get their bullpen the way they want it. And then it sounds like Nick Anderson might be somebody that they're counting on for the last couple yep. of months. So I, uh, I'm trying to hold on to him where I can. But I always feel like Tampa Bay will find a way to win five more games than they should because they're good at really subtle things. And the Red Sox, I mean, all they did, as far as I know, is get Schwarber. They made a very minor deal with the Pirates that probably won't impact them. There is a team that really could have used the Barrios, that could have used even some of this bullpen help, I thought. And – I don't blame Toronto. I don't blame the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees, you know, just who they are, their birthright, they're, unless they're buried under 20 feet of snow, they're, they're going to try to make their team better because they, they feel like they should be in the playoffs every year. But I'm looking at the teams at the top of this division, and I'm thinking, why couldn't we catch them? They, they don't look un, you know unbeatable to me. And I think the teams that went after that, you know, four teams are going after it in this division, and I think they're all merited. I think Toronto and New York doing it made a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm with you there. You mentioned the Red Sox. They went and got Kyle Schwarber, as we talked about. Uh, they made a little deal with the Pirates, but they also went last minute, like a little after the bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went and got Hansel Robles from Minnesota, who's been very shaky this year, but does give them some experience in the bullpen. On the Kyle Schwarber front, uh, Scott, there's been discussions, you know, he can play the outfield. Maybe he's the first base answer they've been looking for. He's obviously out for a little bit longer, but he's taking batting practice now, which is a good sign for his hip injury. When he returns to the Red Sox, where do you foresee him fitting in? I like it. Um, you know, Fenway is actually quietly a really good place for a left-hand hitter if you'll use the whole park. I, I don't yeah. know off the top of my head uh, the the um, the pull metrics for Schwarber. I, I when I think in my mind's eye of hitting a home run, I always think of him pulling one and, and you know crushing one into the upper deck or something like that. But the thing about Fenway too is there are places you could hide him. You you could, if you needed to, you could hide him in left field where he he's not as bad as he used to be in the field. He's actually become somebody who, I mean, there was one point two or three years ago where it's like, okay, this guy can't become a DH soon enough. And who knows, maybe he will settle in as a DH, but you could hide him at first. You could hide him in left field, you know, National League series in a playoff series in a world series, something like that. Obviously he was white hot about two or three weeks ago where it felt like he was hitting a home run every other at bat. And, and since he's passed that torch to Jorge Soler and, and Joey Votto, what a, what a story with Votto. I, mean, yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, and, and, and credit to him for retooling his swing. But I'm just disappointed the Red Sox didn't make a major. I mean, you know, maybe Robles will find find his way and, and help the bullpen. But I thought they needed to add a starter. And I know there weren't a ton of guys going uh, in the market. But I thought Barrios would have been a great get for them. I thought even Andrew Heaney would have been a good get for them. Um, I, I think they need another starter. I don't trust it. I think everybody in the rotation is pitching one slot if not two slots above where they naturally fit. And it's just hard for me to think that this Red Sox team isn't going to be exposed at some point. Yeah, I'm just kind of – I thought the pitching was suspect going into the season, so we'll see where this one plays out. Uh, but I am curious to see how Shorber fits in there. Look, he's about a 42 to 
45% pool guy, and uh, most of it goes to center field, to right field. Center field's a problem in Fenway, obviously, but uh, if he pulls it, he'll be okay, as you mentioned. Uh, the Yankees, we know the Yankees did damage. They went and got Joey Gallo, who's batting uh, second or third on Friday night. Um, they went and got Jolie Rodriguez for the bullpen, who was a potential closer when Ian Kennedy got traded. That's not happening anymore. Uh, you got Anthony Rizzo. You got Andrew Heaney. Where do you think the dust settles with the Yankees now? I still don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I mean, at least they can tell themselves a story where, uh, you know, this could, I mean, they're, they're outfield, what they really, you know, again, going back to Joe Sheehan, he was talking about what they really need is a player like Brett Butler. And he's been retired for like 25 yeah, or 30 years. That's you know, such a great um, name. <laughs> I mean, Brett Gardner was their center fielder. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. Um, you know, can they keep some, I mean, all the injuries that they've had that you know, Luke Voigt's been kind of a washout year. And now if everybody's healthy, you know, Voigt may not play or, or Shell has been hurt. LeMay, who's had a really disappointing season. We know Giancarlo Stanton in full seasons never mix up and down year for, for Gary Sanchez. It's taken a while for me to, like when I set lineups and do DFS and everything, and I'm just naturally thinking, okay, I don't want to mess with the Yankee Stadium. I don't want to mess with the Yankee lineup. And it took a while for me to look and say, wait a minute, this is an ordinary, this is a very average offense. This is nothing mm-hmm. to be afraid of. You know, I mean, this is the team that said we need Rugnet Odor. You know, we, we need uh, Brett Gardner in the lineup. We, we, we need. They've been playing um, Greg Allen. <laughs> yeah, Greg Allen, for who I picked up in a league or two, yeah. a couple in a couple of deep leagues, um, you know, and, and he had maybe a moment where he was productive. But um, I don't think their offense is good enough. And I don't also, I think for this team to have upside, they needed Garrett Cole to be like a Cy Young slam dunk or slot, you know, second or third in the, in the Cy Young voting Garrett Cole. And, and I realize he's, he's kind of had an up and down season. Even the other day when he had uh, a bunch of runs on his tab, he just still did strike out 10 guys. He's one of the poster children for when we talk about the sticky stuff, you know, how much of is it hurting him to, to not be able to, to do the stuff that he was doing to the baseball and everything. But, I mean, you look at the rest of the rotation, I just see a bunch of guys who are nice three, four, five starters. Where's the second starter here? You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always imagine the Yankees being able to throw a rotation similar to what the Dodgers have right now where it's like three guys you're afraid of. I don't think they have that. And the bullpen is all of a sudden pretty viable, is pretty uh, suspect if they can't count on her all this Chapman. And there's been some other guys who have broken down a little bit. Los Sago's on the IL for a while. And, you know, Chad Green's nice, but I, I I don't feel, I still feel when Chad Green comes in a game that he's gettable. I mean, that he's not yeah. somebody who's untouchable. End of the, add it all up, hash it all out. I think the Yankees will be in the playoff race most of the season and they'll probably be eliminated with like two or three days to go. Uh, this is, this looks like an 87 win team to me. Yeah, not uh, addressing their bullpen situation was the biggest surprise to me. That was a, a massive surprise. A, a better starting pitcher would have been good, too, because I'm just not a, a real Heaney guy, but uh, the bullpen was a big one. Let's go to uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. Then you mentioned trades have already been happening. They got Adamus like a month or so ago. They've gotten uh, Rowdy Telez, which has actually been a great addition mm-hmm. this past week because he's getting to play versus right-handed pitching. And they go and add Eduardo Escobar, which gives them a nice right-handed – he's a switch hitter, but they need a right-handed power bat versus lefties which he helps with there to go at first base, potentially with Telez or throughout the the lineup there. How do you see uh, all this playing out for uh, Milwaukee? And, and the underrated one, well, maybe the most underrated move, because it happened such a long time ago, is they got Willie Adamas, who's been yep. excellent for them. The thing that I just don't know what to do with this outfield, where Lorenzo Cain's coming back, who knows what that will, will turn out to be. Uh, Jackie Bradley, who I... Every every year or so, I, I have a moment where I believe in Jackie Bradley. I, I haven't had it yet this year, and maybe I'm just not going to have it. I just accepted that the guy can't hit. He's a wonderful defensive player. I have given up having any good theory on Christian Yelich, and, and right now mm-hmm. he's got COVID, so he's not playing. 
I mean, they're in a situation where Omar Navarez has become their third or fourth place hitter. He's become really important in this offense. And I, I just think they're going to need to hit more. It's, it's a shame because you look at the staff, you know, you know, uh, Burns has had a breakout season. Woodruff is a legitimate ace. And Freddie Peralta, if he can hold up, I, I know he's getting to a point uncharted territory with the workload he's had, but you would think he's a dominant number three guy. And, and you know, Hayter's still a really good closer. Devin Williams has kind of found his way. They have a lot of interesting arms. I like the way this team is run. I like their GM. Um, I, I think they, they clearly are, are the class of that division, but I don't think they're going to score enough runs. They don't have their lineup. You get to the bottom of the weak belly yeah. of their lineup. I mean, Escobar's going to help. He, he was a nice get for them. And it's kind of the type of move that Milwaukee makes, right? They, they make trades for guys like Escobar. They make trades for guys like Willie Adamas. They make under the fold trades. They make, if, if you were looking in, in a sports section, they make like, you know, page three, page four trades. They don't make the, the front page trade, trade, but uh, although they did in the off season, the year that they, they got Yelich, of course, but um, they, they do a lot of really smart shopping to get guys who fit what they're trying to do. But I just don't like the second half of their lineup. I think their lineup gets thin way too quickly. And there's going to be teams in the playoffs that have deep lineups. You know, the Padres have a deep lineup. The Giants have a deep lineup. And the Dodgers, you know, man, do they have a deep lineup. And I think that's going to be exposed unless you just ask their the front half of their pitching just to pitch out of their minds. You know, that's still – you're always going to have a puncher's chance when you have legitimate aces in your rotation – but I don't think this team's going to score enough runs to have any kind of playoff upside. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think they finally have, like last year or recent years, it's been they have all the offense in the world. Where's the pitching? Now they have the pitching. Where's the offense? It's kind of a, a weird dynamic in Milwaukee, but uh, I like what they're doing. Let's just see if Yelich could somehow wake up. That'd be great, but I'm with you. It's kind of Do you I'm, have a theory? I'm, I'm a Do you have a theory on Christian Yelich? I don't have a good I, answer on him. Well, like, you know, going into the season, he was blaming the um, lack of video like JDM and those guys mm-hmm. were, but they're hitting and Yelich isn't. So you're kind of like, okay, well, that's not obviously it. So what is it now? And then, you know, he thought maybe he's getting comfortable because he had like a two-week run where he looked really good again. You're thinking, okay, he's coming back and that's gone again. I think maybe the back's hurting more than he gives off. Like back sure. injuries, back injuries are, if you've had back injuries, they linger, they show up out of nowhere. Like they're just a pain, period. Like, and it's... I could see that having something to do with it. I just something or he's or he's pressing. I don't know, but yeah, it's weird. Man, it's just so crazy that it wasn't that long ago that he was you couldn't get the guy out. And he was an MVP, no. and you know, just like Bellinger, you know, he went from yep. National League MVP. Well, to, Bellinger goes and changes his swing after one of sure. like, that. This made no sense at all. Like, what are you doing, man? Don't reinvent the wheel right now. Right, it, it ain't so. broke. Why you trying to fix it exactly? Yeah, that one was strange. But let's go to Oakland, who was actually aggressive. They went and got Starling Marte. That's a great move. You can't really say. And it was a good move for Miami getting Lazardo. I think that's a great risk for a team like Miami to go try to, you know, fix him and see how he That was a fun trade. That was a really fun trade. That that was one of those. I I love those. That's kind of why I like that Minnesota one for Barrios is the team that's rebuilding gets these prospects. Perfect. Like, let's do this. And then the contender gets actually a piece that's going to help them right now. So, like, it made total sense on both sides of the spectrum. So, the Marte-Lazardo trade was awesome. But then there's kind of an under-the-radar one that took place on Friday uh, with the Nats and the A's. Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes come to Oakland. And I tweeted out, this is the perfect like Oakland A's player if you look it up in the dictionary. Yep. Like Josh Harrison, Jan, these are the perfect A's right here. Um, how do you think they fit in? Because Sean Murphy's been kind of mediocre, even though we know the talent's there. Does Gomes eat into that quite a bit? And then Josh Harrison, he can play everywhere. Does he kind of take Tony Kemp's spot potentially? How does that – do you think that goes? Yeah, uh, you, you can definitely see Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill pulling off these <laughs> trades. Um, yes. <laughs> classic, you know, let's let's shop in the secondary or tertiary markets. Yep. And let's find a team. They found a team in Washington that was tearing it all down. 
And while other people were getting the superstars, for, and look, don't begrudge the Dodgers for what they did, but you know, Oakland yeah. was smart enough to see some of the lesser appreciated values. I mean, Josh Harrison feels like somebody who should have been on the A's already in his career. Yeah, he fits that mold. Per- he like, he's fits, put that he uniform can, on, and you're just gonna be like, "Yep, yep." He's an A. He <laughs> plays plays all over the place. He yep. does little things well. Um, and I don't think they want to run Jed Lowry into into the ground. So you can you can, and he's at an age where you really you have to be nervous about you know what his staying power is. You can play a little bit for for Lowry. It, it will probably marginalize Kemp to some degree, and he can go back to being what he probably should be, somebody who plays once or twice a week and is a really good bench player and can fill in anywhere. Um, so you, you get that. I think the catching will probably be 50-50, which is no big deal. Most teams now, it's it's the, the idea of one guy catching the majority of the games is out the window with most teams. Most teams would like to have a 60-40 or a 65-35 catching split, and a lot of teams are just 50-50 with it. And Gomes has always Gomes always been one of my favorite players. I remember him yeah. being a down ballot MVP guy with Cleveland a, a few years ago. I, I guess that was kind of when he was a different player. He's not the same guy anymore. But I thought he was at a time where there isn't that much catching. It feels like whenever you throw your catcher out there, you're really giving up something. Most teams, it's like, well, we'll just accept that the catcher can't hit. But with some other teams, it's like, okay, the, the guy can hit, but maybe he's, he's a really weak defensive presence. I guess that's what the Gary Sanchez catching experience is like. Gomes is a capable hitter in the context of what hitters are like for catchers in 2021. And still, I think a plus def- defender, I would think that's a pretty close to 50, 50, a catcher. And, and I totally agree with you. These are on brand moves for the A's and they're, you know, even, okay. They trade a Lazardo and again, an interesting get for the Marlins. It's fun to see Kim, Kim, uh, Ng running the team He's doing great stuff there and, and doing some really interesting stuff. They could be a fun team. I, I thought I mean, what they still have, I think a plus run differential. I, I have an over under yeah. ticket on the Marlins. that's going to lose. And I feel like I was on the right side of it all year. It's just, they, yeah. they've been unlucky with the wins and losses, but even with Lazardo being traded, it's interesting. I don't see a number one on the A staff, but they, I mean, Manaya Bassett, Montas, uh, Caprillian, Irvin, that's a pretty good rotation. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like they are going to deserve to be in the playoffs. The problem is they're going to get in the playoffs and they're going to be up against somebody who's much better than whoever their number one starter presumably is. I guess it would be Manaya, although you know, I'm a Chris Bassett fan too. I, I just wish this team had somebody who could be a front man. I would have loved to have seen Scherzer on this team. Oh, that would say, been okay, amazing. look, I'm at the front of this, and now everybody yeah. slots where they're supposed to slot. That'd have been great. But that said, that's not how Oakland does things. They're yeah. a team that does things on a budget. They're a team that does things on the margins, and I think they made their team better, and that's all you can ask. And they made yeah. their team better in a subtle way, and I, I thought it was really fun. And you know, and I didn't even talk at all about Marte, who still profiles as somebody who can bat anywhere from first to fifth in a lineup mm-hmm. and can do a lot of different things. A power guy, a speed guy, uh, a decent defender, um, somebody who who makes a lot of sense for them. So again, Oakland, I think it's going to be what we usually see from Oakland. They'll make the playoffs. They'll be an interesting team. They'll find a way to lose. We'll talk about Billy Bean's craft doesn't work in the playoffs, although nobody's expecting this team to go deep. But it's a fun team. It's um, a couple of years ago, I thought it was the most fun team in baseball, actually. But it's a fun team, and I love the way. And, and this can just be a lesson to people who haven't had their trade deadline come in fantasy that while your opponents are out trying to chase the white whales, sometimes the improvement on the margins can be just as important. Yeah. I had a fellow Yahoo fantasy person on a few weeks ago and Fred Zinke, and we talked about the art of trades and uh, we discussed that very point. Like don't go for the the massive splash, go for the guys that kind of chip away at the stats for you. So nobody definitely... better trading than Fred Zinke, by the way. Yeah. So he's a, you he's need a trade, you need trade tips. I encourage you to go to his, uh, twitter account and to bombard him 24 hours a day because he's as good as it is <laughs> one because i just i'm just teasing my friend but he's yeah. as good as it comes when it comes to trading yes. and trade advice he's just so good at that he's very very good at that uh let's talk about the seattle Mariners. like obviously we could talk astros but they got some relievers that's kind of self-explanatory what took place there 
Uh, but the Mariners, they go and they get Abraham Toro, which is a sneaky good move because he's a, they have eligibility for a few years. And he was only 24, once a big time, or not big time, but a high-end prospect. And so there's something there possibly. And then they go and make the deal for Diego Castillo, which kind of replaces Kendall Grayman. And you get Castillo for a few more years. So it's kind of a like it, when it all the dust settled, Seattle actually improved potentially for the future. So this is a very intriguing move. How do you like Diego Castillo and uh, Abraham Toro for the rest of the season, at least? Yeah, I mean, they know Seager, well, I think he's at the end of his deal, right? And they've made it clear that they're mm-hmm. probably not going to bring him back. So uh, Toro's a switch hitter. Um, he had kind of an up and down season with with Houston. Man, that Houston lineup, I mean, just good at everything. They get on base, they they make contact, they hit home runs. They're scary. Um, it's and I know I know it's easy, you know, to make a Houston joke and everything. And you know, they want to yeah, championship. Past that. That's do, in the past now. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. They yeah. have so many and you think of Michael Brantley, just the professional hitter to me is like the mm-hmm. the fulcrum of what makes them them uh, real. It's like that as well. But I think Seattle did. I know it doesn't wear well with it doesn't sell well with the fan base, which is like, hey, twenty years of this garbage. But they weren't going. They didn't have the horses to be major contenders. And when they got the chance to flip a Kendall Graveman for somebody who could actually be a position player and could be maybe a three or four win player for them down the road, I. I think they had to move, they had to do it. I think it was smart to see that reliever value is fleeting and a position player is so much more valuable. And I'm excited. I would love to see Seattle be a major player in a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. we, we see Kelnick. I, I know he, he hasn't done much in his two trials. Uh, Cal Rowley is up now. Uh, he's not actually hitting a lot at the catcher position. But you know, there are interesting pieces in this organization. Kikuchi's had a nice step up year. Logan Gilbert. At times, it's looked like somebody who, who belongs on a playoff staff and maybe could even be a playoff starter, probably not number one, but somebody who could be maybe a three or four on a contending team. So we're starting to see – we know, look, they have the winning record, but they have the minus point differential or run differential. They've been really lucky in one-run games. There's, there's really no rhyme or reason why any team should ever be like that unless your bullpen was just lights out, and nobody said that about this bullpen. But it's a it's a brighter the, – the sun is coming out in Seattle. They're, they're looking towards a brighter day, and I – I think you have to understand that this year that there wasn't a lot of upside, even if they made the playoffs and they traded a relief pitcher. It's, it's not like they traded like their cleanup hitter or something, or, yeah. or, they, or they traded Kelnick or something like that. I mean, they, they traded the most fungible thing. I get back to Joe Sheehan. He always says that a closer is an unneeded luxury on a losing team. Now Seattle's not a losing team, but they're a not good, really. That's a good quote yet. though. Yeah. It's yeah. an unneeded luxury. You know, of course they went yeah. on got Castillo. So people might say, well, what, what's the story with that? But, I think Seattle's doing a lot. I, I know it's been a weird year for them, the way the season started with the, the front office and how they handled the Kelnick situation. And that, that really didn't hit a really poor tone. But I think in the long run, they did the right thing. It just looks bad when you've been irrelevant for 20 years. Yeah, it is tough. But I like the, like I said, you get Castillo and Toro now for a few years down the road, which I think goes very well as these young hitters as they have keep coming up um, just for fun because Toro is going to be a popular name this weekend in Fab. How aggressive would you be on a, a guy like Toro? Uh, we're thinking twelve team, fifteen. Let's team? say twelve. Let's say twelve teams. Fifteen. I think he's probably gone. Yeah, he's most grabbed gone. and playing for Bregman already. So I'd say twelve teams. I, he's certainly not like a slam my fist. I have to have. Yeah. I mean, his OBP still under three hundred, but uh, yeah. you would think he'd have good roster real estate. I, I would like to think that he could settle in to be like kind of like what Kyle Seeger is, right? Like, yeah, like a two forty formidable. You know, 325, you know, 465 type of player. I, I think that's in his range of outcomes. So I, I would I would say to my I would say to myself, imagine a switch hitting Corey Seeger and bid accordingly. I like it. I like it a lot. Um 
we won't hit on everything, but I did want to hit on this one. Chicago White Sox. This one was something else. First, they go and get Cesar Hernandez. Great. They needed a second baseman. You know, as much as you want to like Lurie Garcia, it's hard to like him uh, full time. Like he's a good kind of utility player, not an everyday by second baseman. Hernandez fits that mold. Then they go and they get Ryan Tapera on Thursday. They're thinking, great, good setup, man, for Liam Hendricks. Everything's going awesome. And then the splash happens that shook me to the core because in almost all my leagues, I either have Craig Kimbrell or Liam Hendricks. And now they're on the same team. This was like the worst case scenario out of all the 29 other teams to trade with. He sent them here, at least for me. How do you assess this now? Like, obviously, there's been issues. I made the joke, Giolito can't get a win because the bullpen keeps blowing it. But, man, you have two of the best closers this season in baseball on the same roster now. Yeah, I was I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Michael Salfino on the Breakfast Table podcast. We're doing a uh, Getting Ready for the Trade Deadline podcast. And I said that on a team that I have that's contending, I wasn't sure what to do with Kimbrell because I could imagine him going to the Dodgers where he might not close in front of Jansen unless something happened to Jansen. And I said that I think Chicago wants to trade him. And there might be another team that would trade him where he wouldn't close. I think most teams would close with him, but maybe it's possible that he'd get moved to a team where no, no, I think what's going to happen is both these guys are going to get situations, but again, that, that could be fluid, right? I mean, if, yeah. if Hendricks blows two in a row and Kimbrell converts two in a row, maybe LaRusso says, okay, Kimbrell's the guy, you know, and th- that could happen. Certainly in your situation, your unique situation of having both yeah. of them, this is the last thing you want because now your upside is capped, yeah. you know, unless the White Sox go on a 17 and two run or something yeah. like that. How many saves can you get? Yeah. Um, I was, I was surprised. I thought Kimbrell would get traded. I didn't think it was going to be to Chicago. I, I admire that the team still make trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the Cubs were burned by, by trading uh, Eloy Jimenez to, um, to the White Sox for the perennial disappointment that is Jose Quintana. You know, he's had a nice career, but he, he never really grew into that Cy Young contender that a lot of people thought he could be. And, you know, Jimenez, you know, health willing. And, and man, isn't it just great to see him playing again? I know he's a little oh, just the, right the joy now. he had. He got a single and was celebrating like it was literally. It yeah, was awesome. I lo- <laughs> loved it. Um, this, I mean, this is a fun team. Before the season, I said yep. that the Blue Jays and the White Sox were just the most fun teams in baseball. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big Tim Anderson guy. Uh, he's a fun player. Jimenez is a fun player. It was interesting to get Hernandez, a switch hitter, who his whole career, it's been like, okay, I'll make contact hit for a reasonable average, maybe hit eight to 12 home runs this year. It's like, no, 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 I'm just going to go for the downs and hit for a lousy average. And I'm going to hit 27 home runs. I, I didn't see that coming from Cesar Hernandez, but I guess I should have seen once they acquired him, I, I guess I should have seen that maybe the things were in, in motion where magical wouldn't be on the team through the deadline. I, this is a fun trade because yep. now we get to see if magical, ends up turning into an all-star or something, he can help. Maybe he can haunt the White Sox the way you would think Jimenez is going to haunt the Cubs. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I feel your pain. I have a team where I needed Kimbrell to be a full-time closer. I can't imagine he's a full-time closer now unless everything goes right. And now granted, he was having trouble getting saves on a Cubs team that hadn't been winning games a lot of late, True. but he had overall, he had a great season. So uh, it's tough. It's one thing when you have Rodriguez of the Pirates and say, hey, yeah. you should have seen this coming. And, you know, or Ian Kennedy or any of these guys. Yeah, right. yeah. You, <laughs> makes you, you sense. That. But when somebody who, who could be winning a Roll Aids Relief Award gets yeah. traded, maybe out of a closer gig, it's it's a tough thing to swallow. Yeah. It's really hard to come up with that ahead of time. Yeah, no, that was a tough one. I'm sitting there like, even LA, I'm like, well, we've seen how they kind of give Jansen breaks and, you know, you can fall into some saves and you can make things work in that scenario. I'm like, okay, I can, I can live with that. This literally looks like, okay, this is like, and then you're trusting Tony LaRusso to make decisions. We've seen how that goes. So this is going to be a wild one. Um, if you had to speculate, like I saw Jeff Erickson tweeting about it, it's been a common 
conversation piece. Chafin's gone. Tapera's gone. Kimbrell's gone. Rowan Wick is rehabbing. He'd seem like the main guy once he's back. But and the Cubs, like you mentioned, they're they're struggling to win. Period. How who would you speculate there if you needed to try to speculate on saves? Um, Dan Winkler, Rex Brothers. I That's I really brutal. don't. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, I guess Winkler because he's right-handed. Yeah. Um, I don't have a great answer to that. That's a great. It's the right question to ask. Yeah. And um, let's put it this way: in, in my first come first serve leagues, which I'm trying to phase out, I didn't go out and grab any Chicago reliever. I'm fine if somebody else went out and grabbed somebody and got the right answer. They're better man than I am. Yeah, it feels like uh, you know the Royals all year, where now they have three guys with five saves each. It's like that's oh, just a, a losing battle, like you kind of said with the White Sox. Now it's like you put one guy out and then he gets no saves, and you take him out and he goes and gets all the saves. It's a a disaster right there. Do you so. feel is there um, whether it's Anthony Bender or, or, or whether it's maybe Bednar in Pittsburgh? Is there one guy who you feel like clearly okay, all systems go, this guy just graduated into a full time closer? I'd say Bednar in, in Pittsburgh is kind of the one I would lean towards if I had to go that way. Um, I, I think in uh, Miami, talking to some different guys that pay way more attention to closing situations than I do in recent weeks, uh, Floro seems like a popular name there. Okay. Uh, Dillian Floro. He seems like a guy that, as much as we want um, Bender to, to take uh, take over that role, it feels like somehow Floro might down uh, some. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I think Bednar would be my. Uh, Pittsburgh situation and then our Bedner would be the Pittsburgh one. But then the other fun one I'll throw out there, another bad team, of course, the Texas Rangers now without Ian Kennedy. Like, is it Spencer Patton? Cause I thought it'd be Jolie Rodriguez and he's obviously gone. So that's a right. Mess. Yeah. I, I knew when you said bad team, I knew you were going to say Texas or Washington, you know, Washington. Cause they've just, everything has been, has been, everything must go. Least, they were the that seems like Finnegan at least that seems Finnegan. Yeah. Because, Finnegan uh, seems like the guy there. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that Texas is bad enough that I can I can live a comfortable, full, satisfying life without having anybody there. But <laughs> maybe Spencer Patton, maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's like it's one of those like okay, on Sunday I'll put a dollar bid out there. If no one else bids on it, oh whatever. But I'm not going out there and throwing lots of money that direction. But uh, it, it'll be tricky, I think. And we, we're not going to talk about any of this, but I think it's going to be fun. I've seen discussion between some really good fancy players on on Twitter. People in AL and NL only leagues, they have all kinds of options this week. Things right. just got really interesting compared to most years. Like we talked about how kind of boring sometimes the deadline is. Some of the big names crossed borders, and that's where it's going to get real interesting this weekend. So, hey, we'll see how that all, all you can ask is for you want things to be interesting. And, yeah. um, you know, there's been we've had a lot of there's a lot of interesting time. Even the NBA, you just had their draft. They just had a huge rush for Westbrook trade. I mean, you know, there's all free agency, all sorts of moves going in hockey. Um, you know, the, the Vesna tr- trophy winner was traded in the NHL. I mean, it's a great time to be alive in the 2021 sporting world. Yeah, it is. And uh, we'll wrap it up with that. One of these days I got to sit and talk to you about golf. I know you're a big golf guy. I love golf. That's like my second thing. So that's always fun, but uh, I do appreciate you giving me some time talking about the uh, the trade deadline, which was just is bonkers. It was absolutely crazy. So, Scott, thanks for joining me and um, plug away all your stuff like y- y- Yahoo Fantasy and everything, but tell them exactly what you got going on. Thanks so much for having me, Bubba. Yeah, uh, find my work at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I'm one of the rotating hosts of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is our fantasy football podcast. And you can catch that. Uh, I think I'm the Sunday night host going forward. And then we'll be doing handicapping during the season. We'll be doing pickups during the season, weekly previews. I'm not involved in every part of that, but um, hopefully I'll give you some winning picks some, uh, this year and some winning waiver spots. 
And we have a, for a very modest fee, the Breakfast Table podcast is something I do on the side with Michael Salfino. We've been doing that for, geez, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. I, I forget the actual mileage on the odometer, but that's a really fun show that does baseball and football as well. And of course, if you're looking for a place to run your league, um, whether it's a play a DFS contest, run a best ball league, or run a traditional fantasy league, um, the designers at Yahoo Sports win all sorts of rewards for their apps and for their game platform. So I, I strongly recommend you check those out. And uh, you know, whatever your sport is, whether you're a baseball guy, football guy, basketball, hockey, golf, doesn't matter. You know, it's it's all playable at Yahoo Sports. Yeah, I still have a few of every sport, or at least football and baseball, on Yahoo that I've had forever. And it's the it is legit the only app that really still works for fantasy sports. So that's a a beautiful thing about it. But once again, Scott, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, anytime, Bob. It, it was a blast, and uh, you know it's good talking baseball with you. Let's go. Uh, let's go see what happens tonight. Let's go try to figure out like five bullpens that we don't understand right now. Yeah, the crazy Fab Sunday is going to be a blast. That's all I know. Yeah, I'm going to need the whole day off. You know, it's yeah, a big X. Don't ask me to do anything on Sunday. I'm going to make bids all day. It's going to be absolutely crazy. But make sure you check him out on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski and over at Yahoo Fantasy. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 389. Catch you guys next time.